Community leader Lubaba Lowellum says police have failed to work alongside the community to combat crime. We want more visibility of the police in the community and then we, we want them to, to, do, to go to the government because we know the houses where these boys are staying, but the police that are working are serving this community. Some of them, they've got brothers who are, who, who are, crim, are criminals and then they are letting them know when are they going to do the operation. Featherfield and finally... A female suspect has reportedly been arrested after armed assailants fired shots at the U.S. consulate in Turkey's biggest city, Istanbul. They fled when police shot back. Hours earlier, there had been a car bomb attack on a police station in the city. The BBC's Celine Garrett reports. There are three people killed, uh, one during the bomb attack and two this morning. There was a shootout between the police and the attackers, and two attackers were killed during that shootout. In this incident at the U.S. consulate this morning, the detained uh, attacker could have been a woman, police sources say. Recapping the top story this hour, the city of Cape Town says it has prepared a compelling case against the proposed trolling of the N1 and N2 freeways. For SFM News, I'm Anne Musa. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. Okay, in this hour we talk to Professor Jay Spillay of the University of Johannesburg who reports to us on the state of child-headed households and then we speak with the director of Ikaheng, Carol Yanji, on their interventions in caring for orphans and vulnerable children. Um, but first let's, uh, you know, we read in, in, a newspaper article that UJ education researchers examine child-headed households and I was interested to find out more. So um, we've invited uh, Professor Jace Pillay to, to chat to us. Professor Pillay, hello, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, what were your findings? Uh, and, and I want to know what informed your research in the first place. Well, my research actually started off because uh, I had a PhD study that was done at about six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And that PhD study was the first study, I think, that focused on uh, child-headed families in, in the proper province. Mm-hmm. And, and only in the midst of that study did I realize that this was such a serious problem, and even that the problem was actually closest to our doorstep than, than I knew before. And that was the starting point in terms of the actual research itself. And then later on, uh, I was supported by SANPAD uh, to do more research uh, with regard to child-headed families. And in the last two years, uh, I've been awarded a South African uh, research chair by the National Research Foundation of South Africa and the Department of Science and Technology uh, at the University of Johannesburg to conduct research specifically with uh, vulnerable children, orphans and vulnerable children. So the particular focus in terms of the chair is with regard to education and care in childhood mm-hmm. and, and uh, more specifically with orphans and vulnerable children. How big is our problem, Professor? You, you know, in terms of the statistics, I would say that it is very controversial because there are studies that have indicated that this is uh, quite a serious problem. There are studies that have indicated that it's not so. Uh, there are studies that say that it's uh, more kind of stagnant in terms of where it is. But I think if we were just purely to depend on uh, quantitative uh, studies or statistical analysis, mm. uh, I would say that the best way to, to gauge it 
uh, will be with regard to the uh, the household surveys that was conducted. And if you look at the one that was conducted and the results that was disseminated in 2006, and then if you look at the one subsequent that was 2011 and 2012 that was disseminated in 2014, there's a clear indication that there is an increase in the number of statistics with regard to child-headed households. So uh, there's definitely an increase as indicated. But I think me, in terms of our, my particular studies, uh, I wanted to focus more in terms of the qualitative part, to look at, to probe deeper, mm. to be able to find out exactly what is happening to the children. Mm. To me, it's like uh, the question is, the question is not whether we're having this problem or not. We know that we're having a problem. Mm. And the question is, what do we do about it? Uh, I mean, if you were to look at, uh, ask now, as researchers asking the question, uh, is the HIV and AIDS? And we know long, long that is already the problem. We need to be focusing on what we need to do to solve the problem. Mm. So in terms of the study that we've engaged in, it is mainly from a qualitative perspective with the particular focus in terms of probing deeper to find out exactly what the experiences are. So what, what are the experiences of, 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 of these families and, and, and what, what is an age group again of, you know, how old are these children? And I suppose regardless of the age, uh, they need to be well equipped to be dealing uh, with, with supporting either their siblings or, or other members of the family. So what are we finding? What do we know enough of, you know, to share? First of all, in, in terms of its definition of a child-headed household, I wanted to be very, very clear about that. And I think the, there's lots of policies and documents uh, that talk about, the, about this particular definition. But I think the most acceptable one for, in, in, in a universal context, and even through UNICEF and all the other organizations that are involved in such kind of research, the acceptable definition is that a child-headed household is a household that is uh, managed on a daily basis by a person under the age of 18 years. Mm. So in terms of the defin- legal definition of a child, uh, it is under 18 years. And basically what happens here is that this particular child is taking on the full-time responsibility of managing that household. So that's, that's in terms of the definition itself. With regard to the question that you asked now in terms of what we are finding, uh, our studies are focused quite a bit with regard to the psychological, the educational, and the social problems mm. that are experienced by these children on a daily basis. Mm. If you want me to give you a little more details, I can actually do that. Please. Okay, from the psychological perspective, uh, in fact, let me say to you, we're looking at the entire study from four different levels. Mm-hmm. The first level looks at the children themselves, and we're looking at what are their experiences, what are their lived experiences, and we're looking at what are the, uh, the, the depression, the anxiety, the stress, the vulnerability uh, levels. And also we're looking at the resilience as well, because there are many children in this context that are still coping quite uh, successfully. And we want to know how they do this so that other children could be extended this opportunity. So that's the first level. It focuses with the children directly. The second level focuses in terms of the families or the caregivers that the children are exposed to on a daily basis. Mm. Uh, and then the third level looks at the schools. And because the children are supposed to be in schools most of the time, we want to look at what happens in the schools and what schools can do to ensure to keep the children in schools. 
And there we're looking at the school teachers in terms of their preparation levels. We're looking at the psychologists, the social workers, uh, and all the other professionals that work with children in the context of schools. And then the fourth level <clears throat> focuses in terms of the community. Mm. And there we want to know what is the community doing? We want to know exactly in terms of the offerages and civics and, and religious organizations. Are they actually aware of the problem? And what are they doing about this in terms of supporting children in the local communities? So, so basically you can see that we're looking at this four levels. It's quite a very intensive research, you can see. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, just to give you some kind of indication then, in terms of what we're finding, we're definitely finding that on a psychological level, we're finding that these children definitely are experiencing more levels of depression and anxiety and stress and, and vulnerability. So we've already had studies. We've just had a PhD study that has, been, that has done a very intensive work in terms of looking at children with depression levels, uh, children from single uh, orphan families and double orphan families, and even compared those children to children who come from uh, families where both parents are present. And our research is definitely showing us that these children have increased uh, levels of depression, anxiety, and stress, and, of course, vulnerability. Uh, we're also finding that the that in terms of the educational level, that there are some serious problems there as well. The children uh, do not have uniforms to go to school, for example, mm. or they use the same uniform every single day, and obviously... It's dirty and it's smelly and the whole day is bad. And then other children are mocking them and teasing them and don't want to be sitting near them. So these children are so demoralized, you know. I'm surprised that they still, go, I'm surprised yeah. that they still go to school, Professor. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and that's part of our, my arguments in terms of my findings, to say that, you know what, if we got the children in the school, what are we doing to be able to keep them there? And then that's the kind of major question we need to look at. I, I mean, if you look at the, the results that came out last year in terms of the metric results, right? And we, we have a very glowing figure in terms of increased uh, pass rates, which was good. But I think nobody knows in depth that really that all the students that started in that court from reaching grade 12 in the last court, that 50, almost 50% of them never made it to grade 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the findings actually indicate that the children drop out, and because they're orphans or they're vulnerable and, and, and exposed to a whole lot of things in the communities. So we're missing out quite a bit in terms of that. And if we don't do something to, to solve that problem out, obviously it's going to become a bigger problem uh, each time or each day uh, as, as we progress. Professor, I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to the profile of the family of these children, so the parents of the children who are now left to fend for themselves or fend for the family. Do we know anything about them? You, you know, we have very different, different scenarios. We've, we've got some children that we've interviewed and done some intensive research on, is that many of those children actually don't have any adult supervision. Mm-hmm. And, and sad to say that we've got children as young as 15 years or 16 years old and sometimes even 13 years old uh, look up seeing younger siblings, sometimes maybe not even a year old. Mm. And so these children are actually living in those circumstances. And then we have situations where we have that the parents are just too sick. They either very, very uh, gone to the very uh, final stages of being HIV positive and having food on AIDS or other illnesses, and, and they need to be cared for by the children. So we have a role reversal in terms of uh, parenthood. We have children now that are taking care of their alien parents. 
and and it uh, obviously uh, a child as young as 13 years and 14 years now taking on to the responsibility of of uh, look after the parents uh, as serious psychological impact. Hmm. So those are the kind of things that we find in, and there, of course there are the scenarios where we find that there are maybe grannies or grandparents taking care of the children, or maybe aunts or uncles. But the one that I'm talking about in particular are the ones that seem to have no adult supervision. Mm. So, of course, we do see a problem there. So how do we intervene as as community? How do we, you know, we live such isolated lives these days that people don't know what happens in, in different homes, and one cannot easily intervene. But what is suggested for community members? Uh, maybe I'll just share a little bit with you in terms of what we're finding out from our uh, research in the community and, and what these children are telling us. Mm. Uh, first of all, we're finding lots of positiveness in a sense that there are children who f- feel cared for and loved by the community because neighbors give them food or give them clothing. So, so there's definitely some things like that happening, but maybe not as much as we want it to happen. Mm. Uh, and definitely we find that there's a lot of religious organizations out there that are doing quite a bit in terms of providing meals. And, and you know, the meals story is another story because uh, we have the nutrition schemes and mostly in the primary schools. And the children who are given those meals in the primary schools, but it doesn't happen in the, in the secondary schools, for example. And then one of the things that we found, for example, was that some of the children don't want school holidays mm-hmm. because when it's school holidays, they starve. They have no meals, mm. so they just want to be at school because of the meal that they get. Mm. So, so in terms of the community, uh, we definitely the community can play a role. Even if we just have an opportunity to show these children that someone loves them, someone cares for them, someone is concerned about them, that in itself would make a difference. But I must also point out the other side of the coin. Uh, in our study, we also found that there's lots of exploitation uh, of these children in the communities. And then sad to say that we found, in particular, girls are being exploited. Mm-hmm. And we find that girls are being used by older men in the community, and in many cases by married men in the community, mm-hmm. to, to get sexual favors from, this, from, from them. Mm-hmm. And they promise them, okay, here's some money for buying food for the day, mm-hmm. or I'll, I'll protect you from everyone else in the community, mm-hmm. and you've got to do all these things for me. And of course, then... We're going to get an increase in them in terms of, of teenage pregnancies. We're going to get an increase in terms of HIV infections. And this vicious cycle is going to continue. And that's exactly what we've seen in terms of our findings now. So, <coughs> such a bleak picture that you draw. So, Professor Pillay, what, what, what then can be done? Because we're we asking people to reach out and show the kids love, and yet some people abuse that situation. Who, who protects these young people? You know, the thing here is that government has to take responsibility. And, and we have good policies, uh, and I think South Africa is one of those African countries uh, that have really got very, very good policies on paper. And unfortunately, we seem to be a paper tiger because that's only where it stays. We need to put those policies into action. And we get to impl- if you implement them in a very strategic way, I think we can definitely do a lot. So, so in terms of your question, I would definitely say that government has to take the lead in this matter. And definitely we know that government cannot do it on, uh, alone. And then therefore local communities have to get together and they have to engage with government itself 
in terms of working together strategically of how we could be providing support in the most effective possible ways. Mm-hmm. The other thing also is that if you, uh, sad to say, is that if you look at government itself, there's different sectors in government, the Department of Health, the Department of uh, Social and Welfare, the Department of Education, all of them unfortunately seem to be working in silos. And, and they're repeating, they're duplicating events and resources, and then both human and, and material resources. And there's, there's such a wastage going on because they're not talking to each other in terms of what could be done. Hmm. Clearly, what needs to happen is that they need to strategically start to work in a very integrated manner. And then government needs to take an old policy in terms of how they could work in an integrated manner so that they could use the resources that they have in a very, very uh, effective way to reach the local communities mm-hmm. and the children that exist in those families. So, unfortunately, we're not seeing that happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm also saying here is that a community-based approach is obviously going to be needed because we need to work jointly with government uh, at the end of the day to be able to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So, so, those are some of the things that need to happen. Professor Jace? Pele, where do we find your research or, res- or findings of your research? Uh, all our studies will be easily accessible. Uh, in fact, if you do, if you do Google my name, mm-hmm. you will find some of the uh, access to some of the studies. But all the studies will be available at the University of Johannesburg mm-hmm. uh, on the internet, and we do have a uh, we have an icon that says DigiSpace, and and uh, uh, people will be able to have access to that. But if anybody needs the research and the findings, uh, they're welcome to contact us directly, uh, and we will make it available to them. Thank you, Prof. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. It's a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye. That's Professor Jace Pele, South African Research Chair, Education and Care and Childhood Faculty of Education at the University of Johannesburg in South Africa. When we come back, we speak with founding director Carol Gyanke, about Ikaheng, uh, an organization that looks, looks after orphaned and vulnerable children after this. Shadow Twala on SAFM. My guest is Carol Kyanji. She's the founding director of Ikaheng. Um, Ikaheng is a community-based organization that cares for orphaned and vulnerable children around the area of Soweto. Hello, Carol, and thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Hi, Shadow. Thank you so much for, for, for making me to be part of your program as well. Thanks again. Are you having a busy day today? It's a holiday. All the kids must be at home. Okay. Uh, we had a busy weekend in a child section. We have taken uh, 50 of our children who are on life-threatening diseases, and we took them to a camp in Gualata Camp. And I had to come in earlier so that I could actually get myself ready for the for the interview. So oh. it has been, yeah, it has been just like a busy weekend. Can you imagine having 50 kids, <laughs> all medicines, and making sure that the they are clear to medicines, and making sure that they understand their illnesses, how how important it is that they keep on taking their medicines. Carol, you know, I, I, I salute women like yourself who respond to, I mean, I've just been talking to a professor about how many uh, children are vulnerable out there and how many of them are orphaned and others have to, you know, look after themselves and look after their siblings. I want to know yeah. how you, you know, started Ikaheng. Was it for the same reason? Were you responding to what you saw in, in, in your area? 
Yeah, I think the organization, uh, Shadow, was actually formed out of a need. Maybe, and this was like 15 years ago when I had an encounter with three children who had recently lost their dad and were staying with a terminally sick mom. And, uh, and all that I wanted to do, you know, was to get in because I, I, I just believe in the, in the theme that, you know, like it would actually take a village to raise a child, but mm-hmm. your child is so I just went in unknowingly so that the the the, the, the challenge and, and the, the, the challenges facing the kids were so great. So two days down the line on the September attacks, you know, like um, the mother passed away and uh, the kids had no money to, to bury their parents and mm-hmm. there was absolutely nothing. So I had to enter in and you can just imagine the expense of the funerals. So I went from the late doctor cluster to for the elves, you know, asking for money to bury. And out of that, the late Dr. Cluster actually did an article in Sowetan about the plight of children. And from nowhere, you know, like Sowetan was just bombarded with phone calls of other kids who found themselves in the in the same plight. Um, and uh, I went around, you know, like Sowetan borrowed me a car and went around those houses and, and uh before I knew it, you know, like I was a mom to 102 kids, mm. and all of a sudden, you know, like it was almost like a total village of children. But the most, the most uh, um, uh, um, funny part, Shadow, was their resilience, their resilience to go on even in the midst of the pain that they were going on, in like their resilience even in the midst of access to services, you know, like their resilience even in the midst of their vulnerability as well. So this is how the organization actually started. We presently have about 891 children in 373 kids in and around Soweto. And the, the services that we provide are nutritional, you know, educational, and their psychosocial support as well, you know, like looking into their personal needs and their health needs as well. But tell me, Carol, you, you were responding to one family and now you've got so many children. How did you prepare yourself? Because you obviously needed to have those skills yourself. And I'm not too sure how, how what, what you were, what your family situation was like for yourself as well. So, you know, tell us the story. How did you have to prepare yourself to be, to, to reach out to, to these children and to grow to where you are now? And all the skills that are required to look after children. I think, sincerely, more than anything else, I had to have the heart. You know, like I had to have the heart, and I had to understand where children were coming from, and I had to understand that a program without children is not for children. And maybe just to let you know that I, I have a hotel background. In like I was trained in hotels, uh-huh. working hotels all of my life. And I think again, the skills that I, I, I learned in hotels that you know, like. The customer is always right, you know, like, you always have to take your client seriously. So I had to reverse that, you know, like, and I can put a child in mind rather than a millionaire who comes to the Carlton Hotel and I can just reverse it around that this client, this time around, would be a child in my community mm-hmm. who would need, you know, like, to be vocal about issues that she's facing. So, and I had to commit myself, in, even in the, in the midst of my family as well, who was going through the same. So I, I came into this not as a woman who had a normal family or normal background, you know, like I'm divorced twice and had five, had five kids, lost one to suicide in 2010. So I was coming in, maybe, let me say, with my own pain, you know, like with my own 
suffering with my own anxieties as well. And and to the point where when children you know, like told, you know, spoke stories around what they're going through, I could actually come in and say, you know, like I'm feeling the same pain. When kids come in to me and say, I have just been raped, and you don't know what to say to the child, mm. I could have I'm a rape survivor as well. So it, it, it was out of that, that commitment and heart, more than skills and everything else. You know, like at, at least right now, we have people that are skilled in the program. I mean, the University of Johannesburg always skills us, and they bring us their psychologists and everybody else. But mm. at the beginning, it was just that I had to rise up to this occasion. And I, I, I actually was thinking the other day that you know, if any of the 20,000 women who marched to Pretoria in 1956 was actually encountered with the same challenges that our communities have, they would actually just rise, you know, like they would rise, rise as they want, but today I cannot be, I, I am not, I cannot carry a drum pass because those women risked mm-hmm. whatever they, so today we have other challenges that would actually require of me to actually rise. And which are unemployment, poverty, you know, HIV and AIDS, children who are staying alone, who definitely need our support as communities. Do you know, <clears throat> Carol, you've just yes. you've just told us that there's, there's there's a cause now that should replace the march to the union buildings, which is we should march for our children or do something for our children. I mean, talking to you and talking to the professor earlier on. And other conversations I've had today, we really, it's, it's, cause it all has a domino effect, you know? When, when, when a woman doesn't have a job, she lands up in prison and leaves children that you have to take care of. So this is just breaking our communities. What, what, what do you want to see us do, Carol? I, 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 I think to say that we need to march to a different from beat, you know? And, and I think we should all, you know, like, there are women who actually have the power and skills to, that we can hide behind them, maybe women who are professionally okay, women who are wealthy. But on the other hand, the women that I'm working with in my community would actually want me to listen to them. And I think maybe when you come to parliamentary sessions, when I come in with my stories, I actually expect the women at that high level to take me seriously. When I come in and say, you know, we have a 12-year-old girl who just lost her mom, and, um, you know, we need to bury. And what is it that we as communities can actually do? That the women at that level, you know, like on, on, on policy changes and other things, could actually be able to take me seriously because if I come to those tables, I come in with experiences. I come in with stories of women. And instead of, you know, like we have, we have women who stay in a hostel, I won't mention the hostel around Soweto, and who had challenges in taking their ARVs. And I did not know what to say, but they came to me and said, Mom Carol, this is what we need you to do. We need you to set up a, a, a cupboard in your office because we are scared of, of revealing to our, our husbands that they, we, we actually are on ARV. Hmm. And came up with own methods of doing it. And I'm aware, again, that their husbands as well were actually on medication. But that, again, when the women came together and we started seeing on how you see corner over to you see the masculinity eguma hostels and how do we tackle that but the answer actually came out from the women who are unemployed women who are facing those challenges every day on how to take their ARVs and out of that came out a community of people who could actually be able to take HIV seriously 
And I think that if we begin to listen to one another at that level, whatever level that we are in, mm-hmm. I need at high-profile meetings to listen to me when I come in stories, and then we are marching. It will be like almost like marching to a different um, drumbeat as opposed to the women in 1956 who marched. You know, they marched for me today to have voice. You know, they marched to me today that I should not carry a passport, and I should do it to the next generation of young women who are coming after me. And I think it is so important that we set up those rules, that we, as we work, we think about the next generation of women as we would be giving them patents, giving them values, you know, and resilience as well, because it's not easy, Shadow, it's not easy at all. But I think we can do it just one day at a time, taking one starfish back into the sea at a day, and we can actually be seen ourselves, we'll be seen as prosperous women, as so, Carol, you run lots of programs at, at uh, Ikaching. Um, yes, what, what, what support do you get to, to sustain yourself as well? Because, you know, you, 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 you do foster care programs, you do, do nutritional supports and, and, and all of those kinds of things, health support. Um, do you work together with other government departments or other organizations? How do you sustain yourself throughout uh, the work you do? Okay. Um, Mike, yes, of course, we work with the Department of Social Development as well. And uh, we are part of the social engagement, which is actually run by the University of Johannesburg, where you know, like various NGOs come in, we share, we share skills, we share on how to fundraise. So that is a network that the University of Johannesburg has set up for, for NGOs like ourselves. But the other thing, Shere Oguti, we actually have companies like myself. We have the McKenzian Company, the Johannesburg office, you know, like helping us out in making sure that we have mentorships for boys as well. In as much as we, you know, in as much as we take the girl child seriously, and I think it's about time that we take the boy child mm. as seriously. Mm. So we, those, those uh, uh, companies who actually come in on board to make sure that, uh, 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 you know, like these programs actually run. And again, we are part of the Keep a Child Alive, which is Alicia Keeper's program. But at, at, again, I think Shredo will be, will actually be amazed at how individuals, you know, somebody will come in and say, mm-hmm. I cannot give you 10,000 rent that you need on a monthly basis, but all that I can do is that I can give you 10 sanitary pets at the end of each and every month. So sometimes we survive on the kind, the act of kindness that comes out from our individual women, you know, and men in our community to actually just come in and give us that support that we, we actually have. Like, we actually have over and above other kids that we need to look after. And I think it would be so unfair to leave a child in your waiting list, which you are still waiting for somebody else to come in on board, but you'll be shocked and amazed that we, we have such a giving community of people. We have such a giving individuals in our communities, you know, both black and white and Indian, who actually come in and make sure that we are able to survive, especially in these difficult times economically, so that are hitting hard on the, on the NGO sector as well. What is your biggest challenge, Carol, at the moment? 
Um, I think it's money, Shadow. <laughs> I'm, I'm scared to say it. it's money. You know, like NGOs need money. We need money. We need money to feed kids. We need money to take them to school. And and I think that the other as other important sector would be skills that the NGO sector needs. You know, and and skills that would be needed. And and I think it's about time as well that as NGO sector we are able to speak the businessman language. You know, when a businessman comes to me and says, "How much does it cost you per day to raise a child?" Mm-hmm. That I can. Eat those, those answers to them. So we would need skilled people who can actually volunteer their time, not only on Mandela Day or any other day, but I, I'm sure we have skilled people you know, like who are maybe on retirement who can actually just come in and help us rise so that we can be able not to be dependent so much on, 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 on funding, but that we become sustainable organizations as well. And I think we need you know, like sustainability programs that we need to set up that we are able to survive beyond government funding and beyond your individual giving and beyond what businessmen, you know, like, actually are giving to us as well. And again, mm-hmm. and again, you know, like, I was so sad when I read research that said by 2015, the number of children who actually are orphaned and made vulnerable, even in the excess of ARVs, will have increased. And we are seeing that number as well. So I no, we would not like to see our country caught, you know, like with our pants down because we are not taking what research is saying very seriously. So. Hmm. so do you run open days or anything like that where people, just the community or the public can walk in and, and, and um, I suppose get to know more and, and, and even assist you in whatever way they do? Because I think if you had open invitations uh, to people to come by and see your work and, and hopefully somebody then can because I don't know what happens to those children when they leave you um, and because and, they need to leave you to make, to make room for more to come in mm. yeah but the other thing is we need to get them ready for as they exit I don't know if I got your question correctly so is that we need to get them ready as they exit the, the, the program I mean, I mean we have uh, we have, you know, like sometimes, you know, I, 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 I am marveled by the tenacity and the resilience and the values of some of the kids that we, we work in. You know, I mean, we have some who are working at 702. We have a few that are working again at SAFM. We have some who actually are working, you know, like are at internships, you know, for, in, in various companies as well. So we actually need to get them ready. And I know that government normally says to us, when they're 18, they need to be exited. But the other thing is, when you exit them at 18, where are you exiting them to? So mm. our policy as an organization that we exit them when they're ready for their next life, you know, for their employment uh, life. But the other thing, Shadow, that becomes a challenge as well is that as they exit, uh, uh, they need to be very considerate as well of their younger siblings as well. Ubuntu's or Puma and going to Stanton would be luxurious for them. So they need to still be staying on, you know, for the benefit of their younger siblings, so that they can actually be able to help us out as we raise their younger siblings as well. But some of them are just like amazing stories of hope, how, you know, like we have one boy who did his, 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 uh, uh, his master's, master's at UJ mm-hmm. and is now a, a, like a part-time lecturer at, at, at the University of Deadwater, friends. You know, a boy who at 15 had lost both parents to HIV and AIDS but has risen up to those. And we still have those 
who cannot make it, who sometimes end up being gay, but in a corner, you still need to be there and say it can be done. You know, don't give up now. You are of value. You know, you are much loved, even you know, like in the midst of their of their struggles, you know, like and, and challenges that they go through as children who actually have to raise themselves up. So, Carol, si vulaganjana ma ikaheng everywhere. I think that's the question I want to know. How do we use what you have and use it in different parts of the country? Hello? Can you hear me, Carol? Hello? I think I think Carol I've I've, I've lost Carol. We'll we'll probably try try and find her again. Uh, I, I okay. Think. Can you hear me, Carol? Yeah, I can hear you now, Cheryl. Oh, okay. No, I was I was asking how do we open Amaika thing all over the country? Yeah, I think I think what we actually can do as communities, like this is something that I have been thinking about to say how do I help you know, another women in Limpopo, because challenges around Soweto would not be the same challenges as in the Eastern Cape, and yes, there are other women in those areas who actually are trying to do their best, but um, we don't have as many Ikahens maybe when it comes to your rural areas. But I think Tina, as other women who actually have been maybe in the business for quite longer, it's about time that we actually get out of our comfort zones and try and help other women, you know, like in other uh, how can I put it, like not as serviced as, as how and go out and, and give the bid. You know, we are not skilled, but we would be coming with our experiences as well on, on what we could be done. So my, 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 my commitment, you know, like as of next day, is that I would like to visit the Limpopo area and see, you know, like if I find women who have the same passion as I am and see if maybe there are any locations where, where such services are actually still needed for children so that I could actually be able. So not only Carol does have to do that, but I know that there are so many other Carols out there who are doing the same work that it's about time that we go out and like into into our rural areas and, and, and empower other women who actually are, I don't want to say illiterate, but who do, would not have the skills that we already have in open up an NGO on how to look after children as well. And I think that actually would give as a platform to to speak about our experiences. So I would be coming to this woman not as a become degreed woman or a social worker, but I would be coming in to say, I have walked your way, you know, like, and I can come in with these experiences, you know, like, listen to me as I listen to you, mm-hmm. and, and let us do a baseline study on what your community would want me to help you with, so that we can have as many Ikahens or maybe as many Noahs and as many Nkosis Hagans around us that are able to, to take care of children. Yeah. Do you know the, the the biggest challenge that we also have is is, is just nutrition, just feeding people. Yeah. And I think if it's a great start to start with with a, a communal garden or something like that, Absolutely. because I think around that it's like you know when we do our hair, where people talk to each other, when we used to sit yeah. under a tree, so much information can happen and Absolutely. skills transfer around a garden. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, and and again, Shadow, I think you are so spot on. I think we need to go back to to that way of, of feeding ourselves, you know, communal gardens. And like you say, um, I, I did a, 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 a research, you know, like that was done somewhere in, I don't know if it's in Ethiopia or Somalia, where, you know, like a funder came in and, and put out a tent just next to where the women were so that the women cannot be able to 
to travel to the river. And the women all the time were passing through that tap, you know, like going into the river. And when they were asked, you know, like, why are you doing this? They said, you know, when they are at the river, that's the time where they are able to speak about challenges that they actually are going through. Mm. You know, like, and I think this is what we need to go mm. back to as well. Communal gardens where we can speak about uh, the challenges that we have. And because, again, nutrition is one of, I mean, it, sometimes I wonder that if I, in, in our problem, problem we have malnourished children because we were doing a health screening uh, uh, project. And I'm saying to myself, if there are malnourished children in Soweto, what happens in the rural development? But the answer would be, you know, like how do we go back to those methods that were used by our grandmothers on, on, on community gardens and everything else. And I think community gardens and, and coming up as women, speaking together and coming up with answers is the only best way to go in as far as nutrition is concerned. Using yards at schools, you know, like that are barely used, you know, like, and coming to see Uguti, how do we use that at the advantage of having nutritionally balanced children? Mm. Carol, and my sister, I, well. I salute you, I salute you, and well done. Um, can we, can we, how do we reach you? How do people who want to take advantage of your offer, um, how yes. do they reach you? Okay, my, the, the office number as work is 011536. 0681 and um, um, my cell number is 072-521-7230 and my email address is ovk at gmail.com ovk at gmail.com yes ma'am fantastic thank you for chatting to us thank you so much okay thank you thank you Shadow thank you for this time thank you bye Carol Janke ovk at gmail.com or 011-536-0681. She is a superwoman. I'm a superwoman by Alicia Keys on SAFM. It is now time for our children's program, Nali Mali.